Hello, welcome to The Briefing and welcome to Friday. It is February 12. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Jan Fran. Yes, hello Tom. What are we talking about on today's show? Great question. We're talking about Israel's vaccine rollout. Yeah, it is the most vaccinated country in the world. That's a nice title to have in 2021, isn't it? 40% of Israel's population has already received the Pfizer vaccine. We haven't seen any major side effects. We have had some uh, allergies. Out of, you know, 6 million doses, these were only, you know, tens of cases and everything was treated and everything's okay. So... Uh, we haven't seen, you know, any major side effects. Don't you love the sound of that? So far, so good. We are cheering from the sidelines, Israel. Yes, the world is indeed watching Israel. We're going to find out a little bit more about how their rollout is going in just a short moment. Let's get to the news first and fears that Melbourne is on the cusp of a snap lockdown after the Holiday Inn outbreak ballooned from 8 to 13. Oh, this is this is a hard one to watch and very hard for Victorians right now. Um, first, there were three new cases reported early yesterday. So it was a worker from the Holiday Inn and their two partners. And then late last night, 11 o'clock, this came out, two more cases were reported. Apparently, both close contacts of previously announced cases. So you'd assume they're already in isolation. Yeah, Premier Dan Andrews reportedly held high-level talks last night about whether to announce a snap lockdown, so similar to the way that Western Australia did um, last week. Now, multiple states are dealing with hotel outbreaks. The Chief Medical Officer, Professor Paul Kelly, announced weekly hotel quarantine reviews involving all our Chief Health Officers. Where I will be starting with the question, what have we learnt from quarantine this week? And we'll be sharing those learnings and making sure that ties into that continuous quality improvement. Well, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to. The situation just changes so rapidly. You'd you'd think that they would have been doing that over the last year, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, just on border closures, we know that South Australia's closes border with Greater Melbourne. Queensland's introduced a permit system. WA's border has remained closed to Victoria as well. I think there's been some some rumblings again about a uniformity around border closures and just what constitutes a hot spot when borders close, when borders open. I know the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has been calling that for a while. So has tourism operators as well. So it could give people just a little bit more reassurance if we knew when the border might close and when it might reopen again. Yeah, well, hopefully they get this outbreak under control. Sounds like all these cases are in isolation. Mm. Um, so that's a good sign. And to the Australian Open, where there's been plenty of drama sort of on the side of the court. Yeah, around the court, let's call it that. <laughs> and on the court, it's been a great tournament. <laughs> it has so far. But this particular drama involves a woman who was booted from Rod Laver Arena for heckling Rafael Nadal and flipping him the bird. So she's strategically waiting. I think she's going to be out of here. There she goes. What? Did you hear that? She. So you can call him a wanker, just not when he's serving. <laughs> oh, you can't call Rafael Nadal a wanker. Isn't he like one of the nicest guys in tennis? Apparently he's got a very good reputation, yeah. yeah. I mean, it did, didn't throw him off, so that was good. He he qualified with straight sets over Michael Moe. Um, he took it in his stride as well when he was asked about it after the match. I don't know. Maybe he take it too much gin or tequila. I don't know, but honestly it was Strange situation, but <laughs> funny at the same time. There you go. Maybe oh. she'd had too much gin, too much tequila. It's very hard to heckle at the Australian Open because things go quiet very quickly. So, you know, if you heckle at the wrong time, everyone can hear it. It's very embarrassing. I wouldn't recommend. Yeah, and there was another pretty um, dramatic little moment. You couldn't call it a 
a fight. You know, Italians might call it just a conversation, but it looked like a pretty hectic argument between uh, Fabio uh, Fanini and Salvatore Caruso. All right, a bit of a scuffle there. It went on for, f- the match went on for four hours. Before, not, the, not, not the argument. Not the fight, let me clarify. The match um, before Fanini clinched it with a fifth set tiebreaker. They did have to be separated by the umpire, though, after the game, almost coming to blows as they left the court. Yeah, it wasn't quite that bad. They were on the side of the court, they were packing up their bags and they start a conversation. And then it gets sort of to what an Australian would call yelling, maybe an Italian would. And, and then they came up pretty close. A lot of that um, stereotypical gesticulation and then the umpire's like, all right, that's enough, boys. Should we call it robust? <laughs> robust chat. Um, anyway, apparently they're both mates and they're like, look, we'll sort it out. It's all good. Great. And two more senior Crown Resorts executives are expected to formally step down today. This brings the total to four this week. Uh, and it does come after a scathing independent inquiry, which found Crown is unfit to run its new Barangaroo Casino in Sydney. Yeah, so two directors left. They work for James Packer's consulting company. Now, a third director, Andrew Demetrio, the former boss of the AFL, is leaving and the CEO, Ken Barton, is understood to be stepping down as well. So massive changes for Crown as they're trying to do what's needed to get that license back and open the casino, which is already built. And that's the stickler, isn't it? It's that They've built it. They've put the money in there. Now they just got to get it operating. And the Federal Energy Minister says Australia is dead against international carbon tariffs. The plan comes from UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, Johnson says that attacks on energy-intensive imports will be a key priority at the G7 summit, which is coming up in June this year. Yeah, but Angus Taylor has told the nine newspapers that Australia will fight it because it will unfairly impact free trade. I imagine Australia is going to fight it because we are the one of the largest exporters of coal and natural gas in the world as well. That is an industry that brings us $110 billion annually. We don't really want to pay any tariffs on that. Yeah, so these carbon trade tariffs are a very interesting idea. You know, so far the methods to get countries like ours to be more ambitious on climate change have been holding these summits and, you know, agreeing to targets like Kyoto and Paris. But this would sort of change the game. Basically, these countries that are doing more to tackle climate change would start taxing countries like ours who aren't doing as much on our products when we sell them to them. So Mm. Australian businesses aren't going to like this. And that means they'll put more pressure on our government to do more because it'll be costing those businesses. And that could actually see real change where the the rubber really hits the road. Mm. The EU is is calling for carbon tariffs for countries with weak climate policies as well, which sort of, (laughs) we get hit double, don't we? Because our Climate policy is perhaps not as robust as the uh, the federal climate policies of other countries. All right, coming up, we're talking about Israel's vaccine rollout. One of the questions that will define 2021 is how the vaccine rollout goes. And so far, one of the key countries to watch very closely in this space is Israel. Yeah, this Middle Eastern country of 9 million people has more of its population vaccinated than any other country in the world. And what percentage of our population do we have vaccinated, Tom? Zero percent. Zero percent of our population is vaccinated. We haven't even started yet. Israel, by contrary, is six weeks into its Pfizer vaccine rollout. So, so far, 40 percent of the country's population have received one dose and 20 percent have had both doses. 
Yeah, they're rolling out the Pfizer vaccine. So that means it's more than 3.5 million people who've had one dose and over 2 million who've had both doses. And the country says that it is on track to vaccinate 60% of its population by March. That's very ambitious, but they reckon they can get there. Yeah, the first person to get the dose was the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, just before Christmas, and he did it on TV. Yeah, I mean, you can hear the clicking of the cameras there, and that was deliberate because he wanted to make a bit of a media splash, basically to convince everyone to get the vaccine, and so far, you know, it seems to be working. Yeah, Professor Cyril Cohen is from Israel's health ministry. He's one of the people advising the government on the vaccine rollout. And he says when it comes to side effects, the news is good. We haven't seen any major side effects. We have had some uh, allergies. Out of, you know, six million doses, these were only, you know, tens of cases and everything was treated and everything's okay. So uh, we haven't seen, you know, any major side effects. These are the good news. Uh, Only 0.3% required um, to some extent some medical assistance, but they were all treated uh, on time. So good news on the side effects there, you know, with more than 3.5 million people getting a dose, um, very positive. It'll be interesting to see, Jan, if that starts to impact the attitudes of people who are hesitant or even against vaccination in Israel. Because Cyril says, like everywhere else in the world, including here in Australia, that's a challenge in Israel too. One of the, the, the I would say, thing we have noticed is that there is uh, some hesitancy mm. and because uh, people are saying, okay, listen, I'm young. I, I want to take my chances. I'm not afraid of the virus. And I can understand that. The only problem we have right now is a British variant that is now affecting a lot of young people. People, uh, just so you know, 40% of the daily cases are people under the age of 18 or 20 in Israel. Wow. And it is spreading very, very fast. Today, it is a dominant strain in Israel. Mm. And we have seen, you know, things that we have not seen in the past during that, uh, that past few weeks. We had, we had to open ICUs for uh, children. And that's not uh, something we, we were used to. So my guess is that to some extent, some of the younger people will not get vaccinated. You know, if we reach, uh, and and we're already there more or less, a good percentage of people at risk, I will feel uh, much more comfortable with that. And and, and we'll see for the rest, hoping that, you know, the younger people will be more cautious and will not get infected or even if they don't get the vaccine. So apart from the sheer logistics of this challenge, is convincing the younger population one of the the biggest problems that you're having? Yes, to some extent. I don't know if if, if it is a problem, but I I would tell you that I'm, I'm less worried about that or less concerned. I'm more concerned about other populations uh, that are older, the 50s and the 60s, that uh, are very reluctant because of uh, a lot of conspiration theories and everything Mm. and and things like that. I don't know if you have anti-vaxxers in Australia. I don't know if you have conspiracy I think they're universal, yeah. I think every country probably has some anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists, yep. So we are focusing right now on that. Okay, just so you get an idea of what we've been struggling with 
you know, I, I'm a member of the advisory committee for clinical trials on, on Corona uh, vaccines at the Ministry of Health. And, and, and we have seen so many, uh, uh, I would say, criminal uh, phenomena uh, happening here. For example, there was a Facebook group that was, you know, urging its followers to set up an appointment for vaccination and not showing on that uh, appointment so that, you know, the doses will be thrown away. Oh, wow. And this is, yes, just so you know, that group was closed by Facebook yesterday. This is worrying. I mean, I have no problem if you don't want to get the vaccine, but, you know, to prevent pe other people to get the vaccine is a problem. So we are trying to deal with that. Uh, and we are trying, for example, in certain communities, for example, the ultra-Orthodox community or the Arab community in which there is a lot of hesitancy, we are trying through communication and information. I mean, myself, I've been, uh, you know, delivering uh, podcasts and, and, and interviews in certain of those communities in order to help people understand. I, I'm not trying to convince someone. I just want people to get, you know, reliable information so that they can make an intelligent decision. That Facebook group is really interesting. They're essentially attempting to sabotage your rollout. Have they actually been able to do that? To some extent, yes. Uh, but uh, more than the practical effect of that group, its mere existence is concerning, okay? So it's not a general thing, but uh, still, we, we see a lot of people, you know, uh, trying to link. Uh, you know, I had someone calling me and asking me if it is true that Bill Gates is influencing our committees as a Ministry of Health. And do I have uh, any connection to Bill Gates? So I had to admit that I have one connection, and I told him that I have one connection with Bill Gates every time I open my computer because I'm running <laughs> Windows on my computer. So well, they own Skype as well, which is the platform we're speaking to you on. So we're all connected to the <laughs> to the conspiracy. Yes, yes, the conspiracy, yeah, yes, we are. We are. So yeah, so we have those pro those problems, but not that much. I have to tell you, it's completely wild to me to hear that people are actually trying to sabotage the vaccine rollout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get to the next big question, effectiveness. Cyril, of the people who've been vaccinated so far, how many have then been infected with COVID? Right now, uh, we have some very encouraging data. Basically, what we know is first, for example, from several studies, for example, from the HMO called Maccabi, what we have seen is that in a sample of the population of uh, more than 416,000 people, only 254 got a very mild disease, or even a light disease of COVID-19. And if you compare that to a group that was not vaccinated, uh, the number there are around 6,000 people. Wow. Uh, based on several, yeah, yeah. So based on several, uh, I would say, uh, evaluations, we are talking right now about an efficacy of 92% uh, in the 60-year-old plus. We have seen the rate of uh, hospitalization of the 60-year-old plus plummeting in the past few days, okay? And regarding transmission, it's a bit too early to say, but a study that was published yesterday also by uh, the Technion and Maccabi showed that uh, there is a reduction of around four times the uh, amount of virus detected in people vaccinated compared to people that are not vaccinated. So we assume that the, the vaccination can perhaps 
slower, or I don't want to say prevent totally, but at least uh, it can help preventing some of the transmission. We're, mm. we're still waiting for more studies. I have to remind you that we have started to vaccinate only six weeks ago. You've got data there that says people who've had the vaccine are less likely to get COVID. But what about your overall infection rate in Israel? Because it's flattened, but not by that much. It appears to have come down about 20% since the peak, but the US numbers have halved, the UK numbers are down by two thirds. So is it really working on a population-wide level yet? Yes. Yeah, so so in, first you have to to understand that in Israel we are testing a lot compared to other countries. That, that, that's one okay. thing. So, uh, the, you know, we find more cases. That, that's one thing. But the second thing that we've been struggling with is a British variant that is now responsible for 80% of all, at least 80% of all contaminations, all cases in Israel, and it is spreading very, very fast. If you compare the rate of positivity of the test, you know, two weeks ago we were around uh, 10%. The latest numbers are around 7%, 7.7 today. So I really hope that this trend will continue. It's a slow trend, but I really hope that this trend will continue and that we'll see less and less cases. But I have to mm. tell you that the scenario I, uh, I think is going to happen, I foresee in Israel, is that we'll still have infections, especially that we have lifted our lockdown. So we will still see infections, but at least our hospitals won't be overwhelmed and we'll be able to treat mm -hmm. uh, uh, people in a better way. Uh, you know, we're treating them excellently. I mean, in an excellent way so far, but still, you know, there's been some struggle in hospitals. So I hope... Yeah, that there might be an infection. The infections might still keep happening, but they won't be as yeah, yeah. pronounced or as serious and possibly keep people out of hospitals. I do have to ask, because I think everybody in the world probably wants to know the answer to this question. I really hope you can tell us, Professor, when do you expect life to get anywhere back to normal? Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, I'll tell you the truth. Basically, <laughs> we, we believe that vaccination is only one tool. We will still need to wear masks. We will still need, you know, some social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, our hope you know, we were hoping that by the spring, you know, life will get back to some kind of routine. I think it might be a little bit too early. I hope that by the summer, we'll be in a much better shape. But I really And by summer, you mean uh, June, June, July, August, which um, is our yes. winter here. Is that right? Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yes. Yeah, I forgot I'm talking to uh, Australians. We're in the other hemisphere, yep. Exactly. People from the other hemisphere. So yes, around July, uh, we'll have better results. Oh, I, I mean, we'll get back to norm, to some kind of, of normalcy. I, I want to be very cautious. I, I think we are running a marathon. It's, a, it's really a marathon. I, I think the virus is here to stay. We have to learn how to live with COVID and not to die with COVID. And, and, and that's, I think, it's, we, we have to be patient. I'm very happy with vaccination, but we, we still have a long way to go. So hopefully perhaps this, you know, this summer we'll have better news, but, but I, I don't foresee that we'll ditch our masks and everything will go back the way it was, uh, I don't know, a year ago. We'll see. So that was Professor Cyril Cohen speaking to us from Israel, where he's advising the health ministry on the vaccine rollout. So Jan, after hearing that and thinking about the year ahead, did it give you hope? Did it make you feel positive about the impact of the vaccine? Yes, it did, because I've also just reconfigured my expectations quite dramatically over the last few weeks. And I know that it is, 
It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's going to take a while. It's going to affect certain populations more than others. It's going to bring down hospital numbers and, you know, serious cases first. And that's okay. I, I don't think I ever imagined vaccines would be a magic bullet. And I think Professor Cyril Cohen has just proven that they're not thus far. Yeah, definitely great news about the side effects. And then, yeah, we're seeing how how quickly it brings down the overall population infection rate. Clearly, that's taking a while in Israel because lots of young people are still getting it. But yeah, as with everything with COVID, it feels like positive news is often tempered with complexity. Yeah, like this is good, but... It won't be that simple. There's always a but. All right, that is it for the briefing this week. But of course, there is the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Last week, um, Jamila spoke to Yelena Dokic. Uh, Jamila, who have you got on tomorrow? Tom, this week on The Weekend Briefing, I am chatting with Clem Ford. And I know that even saying that name, I am going to get a division amongst all of our listeners. There will be those who are mega fans and those who really don't warm to her at all. But she's one hell of an interesting person. We're going to talk feminism. We're going to talk love in a time of corona. And we're going to talk about whether or not she's taken her views on men a bit too far sometimes. Oh, that should be quite interesting. That is the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamfran, have a great weekend of watching tennis. You can stay up as late as you want on the weekend. I intend to, don't you worry. A podcast one production.